Hey, well, welcome everybody back to Blackhawk Church online in your home, on your device, on your screen, wherever you are right now. It's so good to have a chance to be with you. My name's Matt. If I've never had a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors on staff. And uh, man, I don't know about you, but it's hard to believe this is the last Sunday of July already. Just hard to believe the month of July is over. When I was thinking back over the month just recently, um, I was thinking about the highlights for my family. One of the highlights in particular actually happened right at the, the beginning of the month of July, actually on July 3rd, when uh, well, the Broadway musical Hamilton dropped on Disney+. Plus. Any other Hamilton fans? Can I just get a little love in the chat right now from any of you right now? Man, I tell you, if you've never seen it before, you need to watch it at some point. Hamilton is a Broadway musical about the guy on the $10 bill. Uh, Alexander Hamilton, one of our founding forefathers. And the crazy thing about the entire Broadway musical is that it is all done to hip hop and rap music. And uh, for my family, we've been into it really since it came out on Broadway. My, my family, my, both of my daughters were actually really into um, choir and theater and musicals, drama, all, all that stuff from like middle school all the way through high school. And so back when it came on Broadway, like we were listening to the soundtrack and, uh, and then one particular year for, uh, for Christmas, we decided to get our girls uh, tickets to go see it in Chicago when it was in Chicago. And, uh, and, and so we went, uh, of course, we were kind of in the nosebleed section, you know, in the back way at the top of the theater. And, uh, and so as we were watching, my mind actually got kind of blown as, as I was watching the second half. I, we were about 25 minutes into the second half. And, uh, and it was at that point that I realized that some of the actors had been playing, who had been playing major characters in the first half, now were playing completely different major characters in the second half. I had no idea that they were doing that. And it wasn't until 25 minutes in that I realized these were the same people who had been playing different characters. They were so good at what they did. It was as if you were watching two different, completely different characters from the first half of the musical to the second half of the musical, two completely different actors, but it wasn't. Why do I bring that up? Well, today, We are diving into this psalm that we just heard read uh, on the screen just a minute ago, Psalm 77. And the thing about this psalm in particular that's really interesting is that it really could be broken in to two halves. And with the way that it reads, you could easily think that it was written by two different authors. We are going to head into Psalm 77. So if you've got your Bibles anywhere nearby, go ahead and grab them and open them up. Grab a pen so you can make notes and underline and do different things like that. And uh, we're gonna dive into this psalm. We are in the middle of a series right now called If I'm Honest, where we have been taking a look at the different psalms uh, for the entire summer so far. And uh, the interesting thing about psalms, psalms, like really when you think about it, they are, they are poems and, and songs written by different people based upon the things that were going on back at that particular time. Really, when, when we stop to think about it with the art form of poems and songs, It's really within that art form that because of it, people are able to, oftentimes to a deeper level, get to the honesty of their feelings and emotions by the way that they write these things out. That's the reason why we came up with the title. And this one in particular today, and let's just say that the writer gets really honest. That writer is a guy named Asaph. Now we don't know 
ton about Asaph. Asaph is, is talked about in the book of First Chronicles. The things that we know about him, he, um, he was a Levite. He was um, incredible at writing poetry. He was a worship leader in the tabernacle. And so he was a spiritual leader back at that time. And just like King David, he was incredibly gifted at poetry, writing songs, and worship leading. And, uh, and so from what we know of him, he wrote 12 different Psalms, 12 of the 150 Psalms that are recorded in scripture. He wrote Psalm 50 and then Psalms 73 through 83. And, uh, and so this week and, uh, and the next week with Pastor Chris, we're going to get a chance to look at two different Psalms of Asaph. Asaph was really descriptive in the way that he wrote. And in this one in particular, he gets really raw from the very beginning. And uh, so let's go ahead and dive into this psalm. Psalm chapter, seven, chapter 77, starting with verse one. Let's read this together. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. Okay, (laughs) I told you this was raw. What do we see taking place here? Well, it's kind of obvious Asaph is hurting right now. Now, the thing is, we don't actually know why he's hurting. There are many of the Psalms where actually when you read them, you're able to parallel them with other areas of scripture in the Old Testament and different things that were going on in history in the lives of the author and the people of Israel. But with this one in particular, we don't know what was going on with the people of Israel. We don't know what was going on in the life of Asaph. We just know in particular that in this passage that he was like crying out in a massive way. So he's crying out to God. You know, I mean, he's saying here, God, where are you? Like, I think about it. He, Asaph, he's doing all the right things. He's crying out to God. He's, he's meditating on God's word. He's, he's spending time in prayer. He's not holding things close. He's opening his arms, saying that he needs God in this moment, coming with open hands. And he is completely coming up empty. He goes on to say, uh, you kept my eyes from, from closing. In other words, rather than, as I turn to you, rather than getting comfort, I'm losing sleep. In fact, this is bothering me to such a deep level, I can't even come up with words to express the pain that I'm going through in this moment. <laughs> it's just unbelievable to see this taking place. I was so excited, honestly, to get a chance to be able to, to talk about this psalm. Because like when you stop to think about it, just these, these first verses, these first five verses, can anyone relate to that? Like, have you ever had a time where things have gotten really dark in your life and you cry out to God and you seem like you're just coming up empty? You know, where you're doing all the right things. You're, you're reading scripture, you're coming to God in prayer, you're, you're making sure that there's nothing in your life that you're grasping onto, but you're coming open-handed before God. You're coming in need of him, like this picture of open-handed, like, like God, I just need you in such a great way. And God just seems silent. He seems like he's not even there. You're just coming up empty. I mean, look, I have talked 
to a lot of people in this season. Since everything really shut down around March 11. And I've talked to all kinds of people who are just hurting right now. You know, I, I, like I was having a conversation with a guy earlier this week who was saying, you know, I feel like, I feel like since that time in March, like there's just this weight on my shoulders. Anybody feel that way? Or like there's just this cloud that just seems to be over me all the time wherever I go. I've talked with other people like about their, their spiritual life with God right now. And they'll say words like, I feel like I'm just floating Like I'm just out in the middle of the ocean floating and I can't see land in any direction and I'm just being taken by the current. You know, this weight, this cloud, this this drifting and floating that we end up feeling in the midst of the season. Let's be honest, 2020 has been crazy. I mean, global pandemic, you know, I mean, systemic injustice that we see happening in the world, job loss that's taking place at an incredible level, people hurting because of losing finances, sickness that's taking place in people's lives. And it's not all just COVID related, but all of it seems to be affected by COVID. You know, people I know who have loved ones who have been sick and in the hospital, they haven't been able to spend time with them. People who I know who have had loved ones who have, who have died in this season, And funerals haven't been able to happen. And the way that people have been able to gather and grieve has not been able to take place. I've talked to people whose marriages are struggling because of the amount of time that they're together. Everything just seems tense. I've talked to different couples I know who were engaged, whose engagements have been broken off in this season just because of the tense stress of everything that's been going on. I talked to people who were lonely because they don't have anyone to be able to really spend time with. It's difficult to actually get time to gather together. And so we're in this season and so we read scripture and we pray and we cry out to God. And it can seem sometimes like we're just coming up empty. It's not getting better. I mean, if anything, like it seems like things could be getting worse. So what does Asaph do in the midst of this time? Well, it says in verse five, he says, well, I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. (laughs) He's thinking back to the past. Let me ask you, anybody been thinking at all about the past during this season? Like you just sort of in the back of your mind every once in a while, you're remembering back to like February of 2020 or before that. You know, you're thinking back to times where things were going a little bit better. Before we had to wear masks, before social distancing was the phrase of the day, before we had to use hand sanitizer and wipe down our groceries, you know, before when you actually could just go and like hug someone. You see, in difficult situations and circumstances, we can easily be people who in the midst of those times, we think back to times before when things were easier when life was simpler, when it seemed like everything was going well, we easily go back to those places. And then Asaph even takes it to another level as we take a look at these next verses. He goes to a place of questioning God. Verse six says this, I remember my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? So, see, things really start to get dark here. All of a sudden, like Asaph starts to question God, six different questions. And the thing is, these questions, they're not, 
they're not just questioning the actions and work of God. They begin to actually question the, the character of God. Like in this whole season, like he's not just, like think about it, he's not just saying, God, how could you? Or God, why did this happen? Or why in the world is this taking place? He goes to a place of asking questions, which we easily go to of asking questions like, God, do you really love me? God, are you really a God of justice? God, is your mercy really never ending? God, are you sure you're not just getting sick of forgiving me? all the time, we begin to get to this place of where we start to ask questions that are deep and dark and question the character of God. This is the first nine verses of Psalm 77 by Asaph. And the curtain closes on the first half of the musical. <laughs> it's dark, isn't it? What's, what's taking place here in this section of scripture? Like, what's the big picture of what's really happening? Well, Asaph, he's lamenting. Asaph is crying out to God. Lament could be, lament could be uh, defined as a passionate expression of like grief, pain, sorrow, that type of stuff going on in our lives. And uh, this is what we see Asaph doing. He's crying out in the midst of, of the pain and struggle of everything going on in his life. And he does it really descriptive and really real and really raw. And the amazing thing is that it's in scripture. Think about that for a minute. Asaph is crying out in a way that's not pretty right now. And he's a spiritual leader of the day. You know, worship leader in the tabernacle. And God made sure that it was in scripture. In other words, God wasn't one who just made sure that we kind of like erased the parts that didn't look all that pretty. He made sure that it was in there. You see, that should say something to us. If Asaph can be a spiritual leader and have the feelings and anger and frustration and questions that he's having in this moment, and God can feel completely comfortable having that in his word, don't you think it might be okay for us to lament as well? Don't you think it might be okay for us to come with our real pain and sorrow and grief and wrestling and questioning with God without feeling like we're going to offend him in some week? Look, weeks ago, Pastor Charles actually talked about this some as we looked at Psalm 42. You might want to go back and watch that message again as he talks about it. He does an incredible job of unpacking this idea. But my question to you is, you got anything that you need to lament right now? Is, is there anything going on in your life since the time of March that you've been discouraged with? Anything you feel like you've lost? Anything that you're questioning or you're frustrated with or you're wrestling with? See, because for some of us, we feel like we're, we're doing something wrong if we, we come to God with those type of feelings. For others of us, like, we're people who just tend to be really grateful. And that's amazing. I think that's a, like, I mean, that's a gift from God if you're that type of a person. You're a glass half full, grateful person. But the thing that, that gratitude can do is actually can cause us to kind of ignore or invalidate the feelings that are going on inside of us. We might be dealing with, with comparative suffering of the person. You might be the person who's looking at your life and you go, well, 
in comparison to this person I know or these people in this country or this grouping of people, I don't have anything to complain about. So therefore, I'm just going to push all my feelings down because in comparison to them, I have it really good. Look, that's a great gift. But God still opens and gives us license to be able to come to him, to beat on his chest with the feelings and emotions, the frustration, the anger, the disappointment, the loss, all of these things that we deal with. He desires for us to come and lament. But here's the thing. He doesn't just want us to stay there. He opens the door for us to come. But he doesn't desire for us to just simply make a home, you know, lamenting all the time. God doesn't want us to pitch a tent in the world of lament. He wants us to stop, you know, because in the same way that some people push it off, they never do anything with it. There are other people who just simply live in that place lamenting all the time. Asaph is able to turn the corner. He's able to, all of a sudden, as we see the second half of the musical begin, intermission is over, and somehow, some way, Asaph is coming out looking like a different character. Listen to this for just a minute. Verse 10, let's go there together. It says, then I thought, to this I will appeal. Okay, to what? What's Asaph going to appeal to? What, what's going on in his heart that's beginning to give him hope for the future? What is he turning to? Because, man, the decision that he makes here, like the future of where this is going, it hangs in the balance of where he's headed. He says, then I thought to this I will appeal. The years when the most high God stretched out his right hand. Okay, when God stretches out his right hand, this is figurative imagery of the power and strength of God. Anytime that you see that in scripture anywhere, it's a picture of the strength and power of the way God is working. What's Asaph saying here? He's saying, to this I will appeal. I'm going to remember the places in the past of the power and strength of the Lord. I'm going to remember God's track record. He goes on to unpack that even more. He says this, verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. (laughs) What's happened? Do you remember Asaph verses one through nine and then all of a sudden he comes out in the second half looking like a completely different character with a completely different tune of all of a sudden praising God for the strength that he has shown in the past. He is gaining strength and encouragement from remembering the deeds of God in the past. Now, we've got to stop and think, why would that encourage him? It's because he understood that God is a God who never changes. You see, there's a, there's a theo- theological word, big theological word that kind of unpacks this idea. It's that God is immutable. Immutable just simply means that God is unchanging. In other words, like God has never learned anything. God has never improved himself in some way. God has never changed his opinion on a particular subject. God is all-knowing, all powerful from all time. There is never something new about him. He is unchanging. Therefore, 
He can find hope in the God of the past, knowing that that God is unchanging. When Asaph begins to think of the fact that God is forgiving, that God is merciful, that God is gracious, that God is just, and seeing the way that has worked in the past, think about it. Those questions that he was asking in verses seven through nine, all of a sudden his questioning in that area, it just dissipates because of his realization, his remembering the fact that God never changes. God's love never diminishes. God's justice never stops. God's forgiveness never runs dry. God's mercy is never depleted. God is one who desires to give us these things in the same way that he did in all the stories that we read all throughout the scriptures. In fact, the Bible says in in Malachi chapter three, God says, I the Lord, I do not change. In, in, In Hebrews chapter 13, it says that Jesus, when he was being talked about as God, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And so therefore, we can count on him. It all has to do with remembering. And Asaph goes on to remember a specific place that gives him incredible encouragement. He says this in verse 16. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and they writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the world when your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Okay, little vacation Bible school lesson here. He's remembering back to the time of the exodus of the Israelite people from the like tyranny and oppression that they had dealt with for hundreds of years underneath the Egyptians as they were their slaves. They... Israelites had been under the oppression of the Egyptians for hundreds of years. And then finally God raises up this man named Moses. Moses, who he sends to the leader of the Egyptians to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Pharaoh's not interested. And so then all of a sudden, remember the plagues start to happen to the Egyptian people. Things like, like frogs and locusts and boils and all of these crazy things that take place. And then finally, after all of these different plagues that happened, Pharaoh finally relents. And lets the Israelite people finally leave. And they are led by Moses and Aaron out of Egypt until finally where they get to the edge of the Red Sea. And it's at this point that Pharaoh changes his mind. Says, no, I'm not interested. Sends his army out to go and get the Israelite people to recapture them and bring them back to a place of slavery. And that's where we pick up the story. If you haven't read this story in a long time, you just need to set aside some time to go read a chunk of Exodus. Exodus 14 is where we're looking at today. Exodus 14, starting with verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were No graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. Okay, do you you see what's taking place here? Like the Israelites, they're crying out to God. (laughs) They're totally questioning God and Moses in their leadership. 
They're thinking back to the good old days where they were in slavery in Egypt, wishing they could go back to that time. And then Moses speaks. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Kind of reminds me this place in Exodus of another Psalm that we looked at back in Psalm 46, right at the beginning of COVID that says, be still and know that I am God. Let's continue. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And this is exactly what took place. God worked on his timing because of his character and strength. And all of a sudden, as Moses, can you imagine being here in this moment, watching this take place, raises his hands and the waters of the Red Sea completely part, creating a dry highway right through the Red Sea for the Israelites to cross. And as they get to the other side, the Egyptian army follows them in and the waters close on top of them, destroying them forever. You see, what do you think was going through the mind of the Israelite people who had just been questioning Moses, crying out to God, remembering the glory days of the past? You see, I think that in that moment, they had a little bit of a perspective change to where God became really, 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 really big. And their problems, well, they started to get a little smaller. See, I believe that Asaph is remembering this story because as he remembers God in his power and in his character who is unchanging, he remembers this story. God in his mind gets really, really, really big. And the things that he is struggling with, they just start to get smaller. The key to it is remembering. Remembering the past can give us confidence to move through the present and the future. Kind of reminds me of something we've been going through uh, with our family. So we are, um, we've been having conversations with my daughters because, um, well, Rachel and I are 10 days from being empty nesters. It's unbelievable. We cannot believe that we're at this season of life. But within the next 10 days, Hannah, our daughter, who's a junior at the University of Georgia, is headed back to Athens. And then just a few days after that, we are taking Leah to her freshman year at Iowa State University in Ames. Now, we don't know how long we're gonna be empty nesters. It could be that they're there for two weeks and then they're back and we're no longer empty nesters. But we're gonna... Enjoy it while we have it. And, uh, and then look forward to the time where they're coming back. Girls, I love you. I know you're watching right now. So, but here's the thing. During this COVID season, it's been crazy trying to figure out the details because Georgia's changed. Iowa State's changed. Iowa State's going early. And so our plan was to take Hannah back to uh, Athens, get her moved out of one apartment, moved into another apartment, and then come home, have a little bit of time, and then take Leah to move into her dorm for the first time in Iowa State. 
But now the two dates are almost on top of each other and there's no way we have time to be able to move Hannah into Georgia and get back and get, Han- and get Leah into her dorm at Iowa State. So Rachel and I, we were talking, do we divide and conquer? How does this work? And Hannah said to us, she's like, hey, mom and dad, I can, I can do this on my own. I mean, if I can head back and, I, and like, if, I, if I need you, I'll call you and I know you'll come. It just reminded us because Rachel and I, we've been kind of nostalgic in this moment as we've been thinking back to when the girls were little, you know, since we're about to be empty nest. And we were remembering back to Hannah and the way she was when she was young. Because when Hannah was young, by the way, I got her permission to share all this. Hannah was the most fearful child that I'd ever been around. Like she would just be so nervous anytime that Rachel and I would leave. It made bringing her to church and putting her in the nursery really difficult. And it continued on. Like, like in particular, her, her first year of elementary school, kindergarten. Like we showed up the first day and there are all kinds of parents who are there. And you know, for the first couple days with nervous kids, parents will, will walk their kids into the room and get them situated before they leave. Well, we walked Hannah into school every day from September through March, March, because she was uncomfortable going in on her own. We knew all the teachers by first name, all the hall monitors would be like, hey, Hannah, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Metzger, you know, and we would walk her in every day through the first semester and half of the second semester. We would bring her into her kindergarten room. We'd get her set on her nice little carpet square. She's hugging Teddy. And we would look at her and she would every day start to get teary-eyed and say, honey, you know what? You're gonna have a great day. Now inside we're thinking, she's probably never gonna move out. We should probably homeschool her. And then for college, we'll figure out the university of home. We'll get t-shirts made. And then someday when she gets married, her husband will move in with us. And this will just be the way that it is. We were pretty sure that's what was gonna happen. So what we would say to her every day, honey, you're gonna have a great day. And listen, after school, we're gonna be here. We can't wait to see you. And we would leave and she would lament and then finally pull it together and have a good day. And at the end of the day, we would be there. Now something happened during that time between September and March. Rachel and I developed with her a track record. We started to develop confidence in her. She started to all of a sudden feel more comfortable as we would leave. You know, and, and, and that started to bleed over in other areas of her life. When she would get together with friends for a play date. And then she, when she would go to a friend's house for a sleepover. When she would um, end up going, uh, you know, on a school trip. Or then on a, on a church retreat. And finally on missions trips to other areas of the country and then other areas of the world. And finally, she decided for college that she'd move 13 hours away to the University of Georgia where she says to us, hey, mom and dad, I can go back and do this on my own because I know if I need you, you'll be there. Because see, I remember the track record. You see, it's all about remembering. You know, you see, like her perspective changed when she remembered our track record from the past. You see, everything for Asaph changed. His perspective changed when he remembered the track record of God in the past. The one who had worked, who was faithful and forgiving and merciful and just and loving beyond our comprehension. To where he could look back to the ways that God had worked in his life and the way that God had worked through scripture. And he could find confidence. See, that's the thing about scripture. These stories that we have in the Bible, they're not just meant to be informational. They're meant to to encourage us. To build our confidence. 
to build our, our faith in a God who is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is one who we can find peace in through the circumstances that we walk through in life because of the way that we've seen him work. In other words, we can find peace in the present by remembering God's power in the past. Let me say that again for the people in the back row. We can find peace in the present by remembering God's power in the past. Like, I don't know what the things are that you're dealing with in your life, but my guess is, is that you probably have some things that you need to lament. There are probably things that you need to cry out to God for. What are those things? But then, what are the ways that you've seen God work in the past? In your own life? What are your favorite Bible stories in scripture that don't just inform you of who God is, but build this encouragement, this confidence, your faith in who God is because he is unchanging. You know, there's a saying that people use a lot of times, I'm sure you've heard it before, that hindsight is 2020. In other words, sometimes what I'm looking at in the future, it's kind of a fog. But when I'm able to look back at a situation, I all of a sudden, I see like the way that things worked. I understand why it happened. I get the way the pieces fit together. Because when we look back, hindsight is 2020. Well, I think the thing that we learn from Psalm 77 <laughs> that applies to our lives right now, we need hindsight in 2020. Because this year, <laughs> it's been a little crazy. And my guess is it's going to stay that way for a while. And the future's a fog. We don't know exactly what we're walking into. And it, there can be times in this season where we feel like we cry out to God and he just doesn't seem to be coming through the way we'd like him to. But we can be people. When we have hindsight in 2020, we can be people who find peace in the present by remembering God's power in the past. Let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you so much for your track record that we're able to see in scripture. God, I think about my life. I thank you for the ways that you've worked in my life to remind me of how great you truly are, how loving and caring and merciful and forgiving and just you are. And God, I, I thank you for the, the track record of scripture that I can look back to. God, would you help us as people not just to look at these as Bible stories, but as ways that can encourage us, build our confidence and our faith in what is true about you. Thank you that you are unchanging. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, God, as we remember that, would you give us peace in our present circumstances and situations because of your track record, because of your power in the past. We pray this in Christ's name. And all of God's church said, amen.